Now, Holy Spirit, we pray. And in this act of worship, the preaching and hearing of the sermon, we pray, Holy Spirit, for you to overrule and overwhelm. Overrule and overwhelm my mouth and my words, our ears and our hearing, so that what is said and what is heard is in accordance to the word of God, for the good of God's people, and ultimately for the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. You don't have to work very hard in this modern world to come to an understanding that identity is key. Almost any day that you turn on the television, you watch the news, perhaps you check out social media, or you look at some online news journal, you'll hear somebody talking about something about identity. Identity politics, gender identity, this identity, that identity. Identity is key for who we are as people. That's just a fact. Identity is key. And typically speaking, we are told in this modern culture or in this modern world, we are told that we need, we ought to listen to how other people identify themselves and then trust that which they say about themselves, right? Yeah. But what about Jesus? This is the culture that tells us we need to listen to what other people say about themselves and believe that, trust that, give that priority and prominence. And yet it's also a culture that when it comes to Jesus, we often say, "Ah, well, I don't think he really meant it when he said that. Well, I'm not so sure he really knew what he was talking about when he disclosed himself and his identity. Well, he may mean that to you, but to me, he's this. Everybody claims Jesus. We have a Republican Jesus and a Democrat Jesus. Well, we have an independent Jesus, too, don't we, Martin? And everybody's wrong. Because I, I am convinced that the single greatest authority on who Jesus is and on what Jesus says about it is, is himself. There's a quip by William F. Buckley who was once one time told by a a journalist who was interviewing him, what you really believe is, and (coughs) Buckley interrupted this man and said, no, I am the world's single most, foremost uh, expert on what I believe. (laughs) Jesus is the single most expert in all of world history about who he is. And so maybe, just maybe, we ought to pay attention to what Jesus has to say, to Jesus' self-disclosure. This morning here in Luke chapter 4, that's exactly what we have. Here in this season after Christmas, this season of Epiphany, the preaching and the gospel readings are all about the revelation, the manifestation of Jesus' identity and his vocation, who he was and the purpose for which he came in the world. And so we've seen on the day of Epiphany itself, we have Jesus and and the, the Magi coming to worship him. We read about Jesus, we hear about Jesus being baptized in the River Jordan and and the the Holy Spirit descending upon him and the voice from heaven saying, this is my son. Also in the season of Epiphany, you will sometimes have an appointed reading about Jesus manifesting his glory in John chapter 2 at the changing of water into wine. And here in Luke chapter 4, We have Jesus not receiving praise, not doing a miracle, but Jesus with his own mouth revealing who he is. We have Jesus saying, this is my identity. And what is it? Well, before we get there, let's set the context just a little bit, because I think it's important for us. 
Before we get to our gospel reading for this morning, let's look at where Luke has brought us thus far, simply in Luke chapter 3. I'm going to encourage you this morning to have your Bibles out and open and your thumbs ready, because this is a bit of a Bible drill this morning. You're going to love it. I'm excited. Luke sets the context for us by first telling us that the people were in expectation, right? John the Baptist had emerged out of the wilderness preaching repentance because the kingdom of heaven was at hand and then baptizing people as preparation for the kingdom. The people are in expectation of what? The kingdom to come. Another way to say that is that the people were actively looking for the Messiah, the king of that kingdom, that liberator, that rescuer to come. And then Jesus comes. In Luke chapter 3, he comes down to the river and he's baptized. The people are in great expectation. Jesus comes and is baptized. And Luke is careful to tell us that at the baptism, the Holy Spirit descended upon him, Jesus, in bodily form like a dove. And then the Holy Spirit, Luke tells us, led Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days. Right, so follow these connections. The people in expectation, the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. After the temptations, after Jesus' defeat of the devil through those temptations, Luke tells us Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. How many times does Luke repeat the idea that the Holy Spirit was upon with Jesus in a significant way as we come into this passage today? This is important for us to recognize. It's important for us to recognize because everything that Jesus did and everything that Jesus does is bound up with the presence and the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit upon him in fulfillment of the expectation of the people. And I'll explain that in a minute. So here in Luke chapter 4, Jesus, a hometown boy made good, right? He, he's gone out into the world. He's, Luke tells us he's become incredibly popular in the area of Galilee. He's preaching and teaching in the synagogues. He comes back to his hometown of Nazareth. He goes into the synagogue where he's then honored as a rabbi. He's given the privilege of reading from the scripture and then expected to teach upon those scriptures that he reads. He does so reading from Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 and 2. Perhaps the crowd is eager to hear from him. What is this guy going to say? We've known him for so long. He's gone out. Now he's come back. What will he say? He certainly had their attention when he sits down and he says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What is Jesus' self-disclosure? What is Jesus' proclamation? Who does Jesus say that he is? Jesus is the Messiah. And that's what he's claiming. Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah, the long-awaited rescuer, the one especially and specially anointed by God to save his people. So let's take a look at Isaiah chapter 61. We'll start in Isaiah chapter 61 to see if we can't get a handle on what it means for Jesus to be this specially anointed one of God. What did Jesus think he meant? Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I want to pause here because simply stating this, Jesus is making, I think, what could be considered to be a revolutionary claim. And let, me, let me explain why. 
It's important for us to recognize in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, it's important for us to recognize that Isaiah is describing a very specific individual who was called and anointed by God with the Spirit of God for a very specific mission. And this is unusual and this is unique within all of Scripture up until the point of Luke chapter 4. God's calling for specific purpose is not unusual within the pages of Scripture. He called Moses, he called Joshua, he called all of the judges, he called David, he called Samuel. That's the calling's not what is unusual. What's unusual here is the anointing. Priests and kings in the Old Testament were anointed by a human agent acting on God's behalf. And so when Aaron was called to be made a priest, Moses was given the responsibility of anointing him as such. When David was called to be king, Samuel was given the responsibility of anointing him as such. The agent in Isaiah chapter 61 is anointed by none other than God himself. And that is significant because this sets the individual, the unique agent, apart from anyone else. He doesn't have this human mediation. He knows the call of God from God himself. He doesn't have this human anointing. He is anointed by God, by God himself, with the Holy Spirit. And this is something that this individual of Isaiah chapter 61 shares with no one else. And so Jesus sits down in the the synagogue and he says, today this has been fulfilled. He's not just claiming to be a rabbi. He's not just claiming to be a wise man with a great philosophy of life. He's not just claiming to be some good teacher. He's claiming to be the very specific uh, agent of the Lord, very specifically called and anointed by God himself with the power, with the presence of the Holy Spirit. A A singular individual called and set apart by God for special purpose in a special way. Now, just let's pause just for a minute. Because sometimes when we start talking about Jesus receiving the Holy Spirit, we can get a little queasy. At least I get a little queasy. Because I firmly believe in the scriptures that we see Jesus being fully human and fully divine as professed and proclaimed in the apostolic and the the apostles' creed, the Nicene creed, the Athanasian creed. And so it gets a little queasy for me to say, why would Jesus need the Holy Spirit? Let's pause just to sort of flesh this out a little bit. I'm not trying to confuse us. I'm trying to actually give us clarity. And let's be very clear here. The anointing of the Holy Spirit at his baptism did not make Jesus divine. It didn't make him God. The baptism or the Holy Spirit falling upon Jesus at his baptism did not make him the Son of God or adopt him into the Trinity or adopt him into some sort of second-class divinity. No, no, that's not what it's about. Jesus, as the incarnation of the eternal Son of God, was fully divine, was fully human from the moment of conception within Mary's womb. And so the anointing of the Holy Spirit is not about Jesus' being, it's about Jesus' vocation, his mission. It's about fulfillment. You see, in order for Jesus to be the fulfillment of prophecies such as Isaiah 61, Jesus had to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. As Luke clearly points out to us in the context we've already noted, this occurred at Jesus' baptism. And it was in the Holy Spirit that Jesus began his work as Messiah, and through the Holy Spirit that Jesus continued and finished his work as Messiah. 
The anointing of the Holy Spirit was not about Jesus' ontology or his being. It's about his telos, his purpose. He's come to be the Messiah, to do the things the Messiah is supposed to do, Scripture says, in the Holy Spirit. Now back to Isaiah. Jesus is claiming to be this agent, this singular agent called out and anointed by God. But what does that mean or what does that look like? And how does this tie in with the people's expectation? Well, let's scan through Isaiah a little bit together this morning because I think we need to recognize that Isaiah himself fleshes out what this special agent in chapter 61 looks like. Of course, there are uh, chapters or, or promises of a special child in Isaiah. In chapter 7, chapter 9, and then chapter 11, there's a promise of a, a special child that will be born within Israel. Chapter 7, a child will be born of the virgin. Chapter 9, the child will become wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father. Chapter 11, which we heard this morning, we read this about a special child, a descendant of David, a shoot from the stump of Jesse. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Isaiah 11 goes on to state that this Davidic king endowed with the Spirit, will rule with justice over a kingdom of peace, and there will be a true return from exile. And so when Jesus stands up and he reads from Isaiah chapter 61, and then he sits down and he says, today it's been fulfilled in your hearing, it's not done within a vacuum. The people were in expectation. What were they looking for? They were looking for a descendant of David, specially empowered by the Holy Spirit, to lead a kingdom with justice and with peace. And Jesus is saying, I'm that one. I am that one. Now, there's more to this, of course, because the, the, the special single individual within Isaiah uh, is returns frequently within the latter half of the book of Isaiah, beginning in chapter 42. So, of course, we have Isaiah chapter 7, chapter 9, chapter 11. Now we have Isaiah chapter 42. In Isaiah chapter 42, Isaiah chapter 49, Isaiah chapter 50, Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, this servant is declared, is described, again, as a special agent of God. In these chapters, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 50, Isaiah 52 and 53, this servant is described in terms of redemption, the, the Redeemer, again, endowed with the Holy Spirit to bring to perfect fruition the promises of God. And so we have this, this strain, this uh, theme that, that flows from the beginning to the end of Isaiah, where there will be a special individual born from within, from the root of David. He will become a descendant of David. He will be given the Holy Spirit to rule with justice, with peace. And especially in the latter half, in 42, 49, 50, 52, and 53, this one who is the servant of God is determined to be faithful to God. He will suffer for the people, but through the suffering, he will bring the kingdom of God. 
He will fulfill Israel's tasks. He will draw the Gentiles to himself. This is a lot of groundwork from the pages of Isaiah because I submit to you, when Jesus sat down and said, today this is fulfilled in your hearing, he's not just uh, in a vacuum giving one singular idea. Rather, he's appealing to the entirety of this expectation for a Messiah, for the one to come who will affect redemption. And he is declaring before the audience, I am that one. And he's doing it with no equivocation, with no ambiguity. He's doing it with no black or white. It is, oh, sorry, no gray. It is black and it is white. He is declaring that he is the Messiah, the one for whom they were longing, the one they were expecting. He was the, is the Savior they wanted, but more to the point, he is the Savior they needed. Hear these words from Isaiah chapter 42, because I think they, they connect so nicely with our passage from Luke chapter 4 this morning. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what, it com- and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. In the synagogue in Nazareth, when Jesus sits down to teach after reading from Isaiah chapter 61, when he declares, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, he is declaring himself to be the Messiah, the one who has come to do the new things God has appointed. But what does that look like? Well, Jesus tells us by fleshing out the messianic vocation. He discloses who he is. He is the Messiah. He is the son of David, the son of God, specially born, specially called, specially anointed with the Holy Spirit, and this is what he's come to do. We're back in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is what his messianic vocation looks like. Because of who he is, the Messiah, this is what he will do, the work of the Messiah. Proclaim good news, proclaim and effect liberty, and bring healing. If you look at verses 18 and 19, Jesus declares the Spirit is upon him to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is bound up, his ministry is bound up in preaching, proclaiming good news. What is the good news? Simply this, that he has come. Now, unfolded, it means a little bit more, but simply this, the good news is that the kingdom is approached because the king has approached. The good news is that that one that they long expected, that they longed for, the one who would come and been promised, was now present to them. 
Now, of course, we understand that, that ultimately as the gospel is unfolded, as Luke's gospel, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, as they unfold the narrative of Jesus' life, what we recognize is that the good news is bound up in his person, in his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. The good news is bound up in the forgiveness of sins, the restoration of a broken created order. But here, the good news is that the agent is now present. And this is good news for the poor. The poor, both, I think, physically and spiritually. Good news for the poor in a physical sense because Jesus creates a kingdom in which there is equality and care given for those who have less than they need. But also, it's good news for those who are spiritually poor, poor in spirit, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. For those who are broken at the end of themselves, for those who recognize that they need help from the outside, here's really good news because the help has come. The help is here. The second uh, task of the Messiah revolves around liberty, revolves around setting people free. It's an object of proclamation, but it's also an object of effective work. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him to proclaim liberty to the captives and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Within God's plan and purpose is the freeing of people, the undoing of oppressing, uh, oppression and the undoing of captivity and the restoration of justice. In the pages of Isaiah, liberty for the captives referred to a release from exile, but in the pages of Luke and Acts, it refers most often to the forgiveness of sins. And so the Messiah has come to send people to their true home, to release people to return to their true home. We're held hostage by our sin. We're slaves to our fallen and sinful natures. And Jesus has come to release us from those captivities. And in the Gospels, we see Jesus going about his liberating work, his freeing work. Here's some illustrations from Scripture. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus comes to a man afflicted by demons, and he sets the man afflicted with the legion of demons free, unchained. In the gospel accounts, Jesus releases men and women who suffer from the oppression of sickness, demons, and even death. Jesus affects liberty. He changes the circumstances of the people that he meets. He raises a little girl from the dead, and he stops a poor woman's bleeding. Jesus changes lives as he tells the woman caught in adultery to go and sin no more as he confronts the woman at the well in John chapter 4 with her own sin, and she is changed. Jesus gives freedom. He sends people towards their true home. He tells the leper, you're free. Jesus shows a deep concern for freeing the captives, for bringing justice into their world, and to restoring them in their whole being. Finally, the messianic vocation revolves around healing or compassion. Jesus here says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim recovering of sight to the blind, Jesus literally brings sight to the blind. In John chapter 9, he takes a man who was born blind, whose parents confess he was born blind, and he gives him eyes to see. In another passage of scripture, Jesus heals a man, another man who was blind. Jesus takes those who are born blind, and he pulls the scales from their eyes that they may see, physically. 
spiritually, we're told that Jesus is the light of the world. We're told that Jesus is the one who causes us to see in our darkness. And so not only does he heal the blind man, but rather he pulls the scales from people's inner blindness as they begin to see who he is. The Messiah, the long-expected one, the one they looked for, the Son of God, the Son of David, anointed specially with the Holy Spirit to bring about the kingdom of God on earth. And so when Jesus sits down to teach, after reading from Isaiah chapter 61, and as Jesus declares, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, folks, there is no ambiguity. There's no gray area. Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah, the descendant of David, the Son of God, the servant of Isaiah, anointed with the Holy Spirit to be the agent of redemption, the one through whom God will bring about new things. In no uncertain terms, Jesus discloses himself to be the Messiah. He clearly proclaims himself this way. From the pages of the Old Testament and the audience of this first century synagogue, but what difference does it make to us in 2019? Well, next week, I'll talk a little bit more about this. Our electionary appointed only this part of the passage for today. Next week, we fill out the rest of the passage. We see how the crowd then responded to him. But for today, I think there is a meaning for us. I think there is application for us. I think there's something that we really have to deal with here. And I want to focus on one single point of application by coming back to what I said in the introduction. We tend to treat people and their self-disclosure seriously. We tend to listen quite well to who people say they are, and we treat that self-disclosure with seriousness and with respect. And yet, when it comes to the person of Jesus, we often fail to do that. My suggestion would be, and I think the application for us this morning is simply this, let us take Jesus at his word and hear what he has to say about himself and go from there. Let us start with Jesus' self-disclosure, peel aback whatever we may think we know about him, and let him tell us who he is and go from there. Here's the thing. After taking Jesus at his word, we then must do something with him. We can't remain neutral about Jesus. Author Kenneth Bailey put it this way, Either Jesus was indeed the anointed one of God and should be followed, or he was an arrogant, presumptuous, and perhaps dangerous young man who must be silenced. And folks, nothing's really changed in the 2,000 years since Jesus read from Isaiah chapter 61 and sat down in that synagogue in the village of Nazareth. Either Jesus is said, is who he said he was, or he's an absolute fraudulent liar. There's either or. There's no middle ground. We must do something with him. Now, I'm convinced, and I think most of us sitting in here are convinced that Jesus is who he has said that he is, but we also need to let this challenge us in our thinking. If you're here this morning and you haven't trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, what would you do with him today? Because Jesus alone, Jesus alone is the one who says to you, now you can be freed because the liberator has come. Jesus alone is the one who says, here is good news. God has come, and you can come into his kingdom. Jesus alone is the one who will say to the blind, now open your eyes and see. 
And so if you have not professed with your mouth and believed on him in your center of your being, as Paul says in Romans chapter 10, if you have not done that, what will you do with him today? Now, here's the other question. If you have trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let me ask you, who's the king of your life? If you have trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you do profess, yeah, I let Jesus say that I let Jesus be who Jesus says he is, have you followed him in the vocation of proclaiming the good news? Have you followed him in the vocation of setting free the captives? Have you followed him in the vocation of giving sight to the blind? Because as we'll see next week, the messianic vocation becomes a kingdom vocation, a people's vocation. And a people who claim to be to have a king must begin to look like that king. So I ask you, if you have trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you do claim that we will let him be who he says he is, let me ask you, who is the king of your life? There's only one who brings good news. There's only one who brings Freedom for a true home. There's only one who brings eyes to see. And that one is Jesus. In no uncertain terms, in his self-disclosure, Jesus claims to be and is the Messiah. The long-awaited rescuer, the one specially anointed by God to save his people. And I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy and gracious God, we praise you. We give you thanks for Jesus, for life in his name, for life together as Emmanuel Church. Father, do your work in us that not only may we say we follow after Jesus, but Lord, may we with obedience follow after him truly. Lord, empower us with your Holy Spirit to do those things you've given us to do, to cling to Jesus with faith, to submit to Jesus as our king, and to follow him into the messianic vocation to proclaim good news, to proclaim and set free those held captive, to bring sight to those who cannot see. And do this, we pray, for your glory, your honor, your praise, for the exaltation of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. We continue our worship this morning as we stand together and sing.